0: justice
1: for all. Human rights are women's rights. Change
0: the world. Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. As I'm recording this, it is the middle of the night in Myanmar, and President Obama is presumably asleep at his hotel in Yangon. This is President Obama's second trip to Myanmar, which is remarkable considering the fraught history the two countries have with each other ever since the uh, installation of the military junta in the 1980s. Now, during President Obama's inauguration speech in 2009, he had this interesting line about engaging countries that the U.S. had traditionally opposed, had traditionally sought to isolate. And it went something like this. He said, if you unclench your fist, we will extend our hand. Now, the leaders in Myanmar took Obama up on this offer and began implementing some pretty remarkable political reforms even as Myanmar has opened up politically, there's been a grinding human rights catastrophe related to an ethnic and religious minority population called the Rohingya. The abuses this group takes has been a real stain on U.S policy towards Myanmar, and also a real shame for all of us who care about international human rights. Here with me to discuss the plight of the Rohingya is Matthew Smith of the group Fortifying Rights. Uh, And this is a very, very important episode and one I hope will shine a spotlight on an all too often overlooked human rights catastrophe unfolding in the world today. So here it is, my conversation with Matthew Smith. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh,
1: The Rohingya um, are an ethnic and religious minority in in Myanmar. Um, They're uh, predominantly Muslim Ethnic group uh, residing in the the westernmost state in Myanmar, which is a coastal state called Rakhine State. Um, uh, so there are uh, roughly 1.3 million Rohingya uh, in Myanmar. Uh, but you know, even these basic questions about the, the 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 demographics of this population are deeply controversial, and part of that has to do with the fact that this is an ethnic group that is deeply discriminated against uh, throughout the country and uh, uh, a census was recently conducted in Myanmar and the Rohingya were not part of it so even the figures that we have are estimations um, uh, but uh, this now is a population. My, my yeah, understanding is with,
0: with that census is um, you know there's a census in which you would t- sort of tick off your your ethnic affiliation right and they didn't even let Rohingya be one of the ethnicities. Rather, they added Bengali, suggesting that they are foreign foreigners and, and from Bangladesh. Right? That's right.
1: The, the The government of Myanmar openly denies the existence of the Rohingya ethnicity, um, and, and this has been a problem for a long time, and it's kind of coming to a, a boiling point now. Uh, but dating back, going back to 2012, um, there was uh, and and and. There was violence that, that started in 2012 between um, uh, what originally started as a, a tit-for-tat between some Buddhist and Muslim communities in Rakhine State, very quickly graduated into a targeted campaign of violence against the Rohingya Muslim population and non-Rohingya Muslims as well. Um, So what we documented um, uh, and what other organizations, Human Rights Watch and others documented, uh, was uh, a targeted campaign that uh, displaced approximately 150,000 people from their homes. Uh, People were burned out of their homes. There were killings committed by civilians as well as state security forces. Um, There were several massacres uh, over the last two years. Um, So essentially what What we've been seeing has been a coordinated campaign of ethnic cleansing taking place. Um, And this is really building upon uh, what has really been decades of, of persecution against this population in Myanmar.
0: So, I don't know, this is sort of a difficult question to ask because, you know, you don't need a reason to discriminate against a minority population. Every country around the world has its own problems with minority populations in terms of discrimination. Uh, but what are the roots of this, this animosity uh, against the Rohingya?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it, it's it's definitely complex. Um, this is one of the... Rakhine State is one of the poorest states in Myanmar. So that has not helped the situation. Um, it's the second poorest state in Myanmar next to Chin State. Um, so we're talking one of the poorest areas in, in, in Asia. Um, so that's a contributing factor uh, to the instability in the state. But beyond that, both of the populations that... Um, are living in Rakhine State. So the, the ethnic arakanese or ethnic Rakhine uh, Buddhists and ethnic Rohingya Muslims. There are a number of other smaller groups as well, but um, both of these groups have experienced human rights violations perpetrated by uh, Myanmar's uh, successive military governments. So these are two populations that have experienced abuse for labor, killings, torture, sexual violence. These are all abuses that both populations have experienced over the years. Um, there are a lot of indications that uh, the Rohingya are used as a common enemy. Um, so over the years when um, various, various governments of Myanmar uh, wanted to uh, rally certain populations uh, to support them or their or what they were doing at the time. Um, there would be some sort of event, uh, and you know whether it's a, a Muslim uh, being accused of raping a Buddhist woman, and then it would lead in, lead to uh, you know violence and riots. Uh, this has happened over the over time, and so there are a lot of uh, theories out there that suggest the Rohingya are being. Uh, scapegoated as a common enemy. Uh, but the deeper roots, I, I think, religious difference, ethnic difference, um, two communities that are very poor uh, regarding the other as being its central enemy. And, and this, I think, is one of the, the most pernicious aspects of what we're seeing in Rakhine State is that anti-Rohingya sentiment is viewed as patriotic. Uh, and this has been a feature, this is, well, this is a feature, I think, sadly, a common feature we see in situations of ethnic cleansing where um, killing and destroying the other is seen as the righteous and virtuous thing to do. And when you speak to people in Rakhine State, uh, they're, they're quite open about the fact that they don't want any Muslims living in their state. Uh, they don't want, uh, they don't feel that the Muslims belong in the state. So it's, it's complex.
0: So this, from from my sort of vantage point, this uh, discrimination seems to be manifesting itself internationally in in a couple ways. One, uh, it seems that that sort of the Rohingya have have gotten the message and are leaving uh, Myanmar in droves, oftentimes in really sort of rickety, you know, non seaworthy worthy vessels dying uh, along the way as they're trying to escape. Uh, the other is this um, campaign of harassment of humanitarian organizations that are trying to cater to the basic needs of the Rohingya. Um, I, I guess, do you, uh, like, would you explain those two issues, or do you see those as being like two principal manifestations of this discrimination?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're, two, they're two key areas. I think uh, what we've traditionally seen uh, in Rakhine State has been rohingya families uh actually in the past it was mostly men getting on these these rickety boats and seeking uh a better life um freeing themselves from the persecution and violence and discrimination in myanmar and and making their way to malaysia Uh, now what we're seeing is actually a far more professionalized uh, system of human trafficking and smuggling and uh, so now, uh, far more people are far more Rohingya are are taking to the seas, fleeing the country, fleeing the abuse, fleeing the uh, dismal um, humanitarian conditions, and they find themselves in the clutches of abusive human trafficking, uh, transnational organized criminal networks. Um, so we have we've been documenting. Um, this process for uh, several months now. Um, this this latest upswing in in uh, in the exodus of Rohingya, uh, and what we're finding is is disturbing. What we're finding is that the Myanmar authorities are 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 not only complicit in the exodus of Rohingya Muslims. So, in other words, the authorities are not only making life so intolerable for Rohingya that they're choosing to flee the country, but they're also profiting from it, and they're they're taking money and cooperating with these transnational. Uh, networks of human traffickers, and through this process, there are thousands of people leaving. And initially, they are leaving on these smaller, rickety boats, but they'll 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 travel a little bit farther out to sea, and they will board these much larger ships that are operated by these organized criminal gangs. Um, and then they find themselves in in a whole new world of abuse. Um, So this has been an ongoing problem. And your second point about uh, the humanitarian situation, which is certainly a contributing factor to the exodus, um, is essentially uh, right now, by design, uh, displaced Rohingya lack adequate shelter, they lack adequate food, health care. Um, essentially all of the uh all of the elements that would be part of a standard humanitarian response to a situation of internal displacement are inadequate right now uh and that's not by mistake this is a population that the government of Myanmar does not believe belongs in in Myanmar mm-hmm. uh and part of the problem that's that's essentially at the root of of this and we have seen quite a lot of animosity for um, humanitarian aid groups, UN agencies and others who are on the ground trying to deliver life-saving humanitarian aid to the Rohingya and essentially the local Rakhine population, um, they feel as though the Rohingya are, are the recipients of uh... benefits and welfare from the international community that they feel like they're being denied so there's and and again this is part of this is part of the very complex dynamic the rakhine buddhist population have suffered abuses for many years they're also very poor Um, and so when they see aid groups coming to the rescue of the muslim population uh... this this resentment grows and grows and grows and then it boils over and when it boils over where where you know there have been attacks on uh, the offices of aid groups. Um, yeah. So there are some fundamental, uh, I, I would never simplify it because I feel like there are grievances among the Rakhine Buddhist population that do deserve to be heard. Um, and and um, uh, But that said, uh, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding between emergency aid and development aid yeah. uh, among the local population. And I think what the Rakhine want is development aid and what the Rohingya need is emergency aid.
0: It, I guess it seems to me what you're describing is almost a deliberate policy of making the situation on the one end so sort of humanitarianly uh, intolerable that the Rohingya would want to leave and also um, you know, giving approval and supporting trafficking that enable the Rohingya to leave. Uh, so what, uh, what are the main destination countries? Most, is it mostly Bangladesh and, and Malaysia? And how do they respond? They-
1: yeah, the, there are between 250,000 to 500,000 Rohingya in Bangladesh right now. Um, the government of Bangladesh's response to uh, the plight of the Rohingya has been appalling, um, particularly over the last couple of years. The refugee camps there are two. There are two official refugee camps um, in Bangladesh for the Rohingya, um, and then a lot of unregistered, unofficial camps. Uh, surrounding those areas, and and these like the IDP camps that the Rohingyas are are living in 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 on the Myanmar side, the refugee camps in Bangladesh uh, are some of the worst in the world, and they have been for a very long time. And so, what we're talking about are essentially health indicators that are, um, you know, in some cases on par with or below that of places like Somalia, um, and uh, and health professionals that are knowledgeable of uh, the situation in these areas uh, indicate that that the levels are such that, in, in any other context, it would elicit an emergency response. Uh, but it's the rohingya and it's myanmar and it's bangladesh so uh, so we're not seeing that so so that's that's bangladesh uh, a number of people are also fleeing from bangladesh because the conditions there are mm-hmm. are are truly reprehensible but uh the the ultimate destination for rohingya where most of them are trying to go to is malaysia um and they feel malaysia is a muslim country um uh, malaysia's uh pretty well developed that they'll have some some opportunities there and that they will you know uh, at least have an opportunity to escape from the violence and the persecution and discrimination that they're facing. And, and sadly and unfortunately, what we're seeing is that when Rohingya communities reach Malaysia, they face a whole a whole new uh, raft of abuses. Um, and and there's a there's a complete almost a complete lack of protection. Um, for Rohingya stateless Rohingya refugees that's another thing I, I failed to mention is that this is a stateless population they're denied citizenship in Myanmar mm-hmm. um, so they have an added there's an added um, element of uh, um, uh, there's an added at-risk element to to their their situation
0: um, it, so it seems as Myanmar has opened up over the last few years, the situation of the Rohingya have, you know, gotten demonstrably worse. Um, so I guess a couple of questions. One, um, how do you view sort of U.S. policy towards Myanmar vis-a-vis ro- the Rohingya? It seems as if like, you know, even though the U.S. is, you know, continuing to championing Myanmar's economic development and economic development, um, you know, uh, opening up, the the human rights situation remains as bad, uh, at least for the Rohingya, uh, as it has ever been. Uh, so what, I guess, what gives?
1: Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I think right now, not only among uh, Western countries, but a number of other countries uh, are, have been very excited about what they perceive to be political openings in Myanmar, and so the dominant narrative um, on Myanmar over the last couple of years has been one of uh, a military-ruled country going through a bloodless transition um, uh, to a functioning democratic state. Uh, the reality is 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 far different, um, and uh, and certainly for the Rohingya, they haven't experienced any of these positive um, uh, features of the reform. Uh, the reforms in Myanmar. So this has this has affected um, uh, the bilateral relations between Myanmar and other countries, including the U.S. So the U.S. Uh, government, uh, of course, Obama visiting this week in in Naypyidaw for the uh, Association of Southeast Asian Nations twenty fifth annual summit. Um, uh, we're hoping that. The plight of the Rohingya is put squarely on the agenda. Um, this is an opportunity, really, for for not only Obama but other Asian leaders to really address this issue head on. Um, we have seen uh the US government has prioritized um, the promotion and protection of human rights on the ground we've we've they, we've seen uh, the embassy in Yangon stick its head out and 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 um, and and actually do some decent work to, to try to promote protecting human rights however um not enough is being done, and I think uh, that's evidenced by the fact that the situation is getting much worse, as you mentioned. So, um, so there's there's a serious problem right now, and and we're what we're afraid of is that the Rohingya are going to be sacrificed on this altar of political reform. In, in other words, what we're afraid of is this narrative uh, that we've already been seeing, which is that well, Myanmar is undergoing a lot of uh, truly positive changes. There are a few problems here and there. Uh, but overall, the the thrust is 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 positive, and and this is a deeply problematic narrative because what it essentially says is that uh, you know the the plight of the Rohingyas is a stumbling block or something of that nature.
0: So, is there space at all within uh, Myanmar politics for this situation to sort of be resolved internally and politically? I mean, do parties like Aung San Suu Kyi um you know, hold any kind of progressive values that might um you know become more popular uh that might counter this discrimination that we're seeing well, certainly with among the political elite uh there's been
1: deeply disappointing responses to the abuses against the rohingya population um does that include uh, su that most definitely includes Aung san Suu Kyi. she's uh she's not only failed to speak up uh speak out against. Um, uh, abuses against Rohingya but she's also failed to speak out against a number of other very serious situations of human rights violations taking place uh, for example ongoing war crimes in the north of Myanmar and 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 other problematic uh, parts of the country so she she has essentially um, uh, abandoned any sort of human rights voice um, uh so so it's an issue that the moral and political leadership in the country is most definitely not in the corner of the Rohingya, but um, we do see glimmers of hope. Uh, and and we're seeing that among some human rights activists in the country um, that understand, even if they don't believe that the Rohingya – uh, should be considered an eth- one of the 130 some odd ethnic groups of Myanmar. They do believe, and they are starting to talk about the fact that no no one should be treated the way that the Rohingya are being treated. Um, this is this is a positive development. We've seen it most prominently over the last couple years. Um, and, and I think there's a feeling as well that um, among certain civil society actors and certain human rights activists and human rights defenders in Myanmar, there's, this, there's a certain understanding about the way the government of Myanmar works and I think, uh, or the way it has worked. Um, and here I'm talking most specifically about uh, military hardliners in the, in the country who wield significant amount of power. So uh, Myanmar's human rights activists, I think, have been the first to sort of uh come around and and acknowledge that the treatment of the Rohingya is unacceptable but it's it's nowhere near where it should be um this should be one of the dominant discourses in the country right now uh ending these abuses and and it's not unfortunately
0: uh well matthew thank you so much for speaking with me thanks mark i really appreciate it all. I hope that was useful. And if you haven't done so, check out the new global dispatches podcast.com. It's a newly revamped website, a landing page for this podcast. And you can send me an email there with your recommendations of people I can interview or topics I should cover. Or of course, you can always hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.